0: President The resolution is adopted
1: Hello and welcome back to Take a Left, the podcast from the Socialists and Democrats in the European Parliament. It's Friday, the 18th of February. On this podcast, we normally dive into specific subjects, specific challenges that Europe and the world is facing as we explore our solutions to them. But today we're zooming out and going a bit philosophical. We're painting with broad brushstrokes. What has social democracy achieved recently in Europe? What should the EU's role in the world be? What should our priorities be as we fight to build a better Europe emerging from the pandemic? As we cooperate with other political groups to move Europe forward, what are our red lines? Now is a good time to stop and reflect on these questions. It's halfway through the European Parliament's mandate. We had the last EU elections two and a half years ago, and the next is in two and a half years as well. As such, we just renewed our leadership. Our group recently re-elected Spanish PSOE MEP Erache García Pérez as president. We spoke to Irache about what we've achieved so far this term inside the EU and what we'll be fighting for in the remainder of our term. Looking outside, we spoke to Pedro Márquez, our vice president for foreign affairs, about what the EU should be doing on the international stage. I spoke to Irache in Brussels about what our support for the European Commission is contingent on. Iracha, welcome and thank you for joining us.
0: Hello, Uh, thank you, Alex. Uh, Let's get started.
1: So firstly, congratulations. You were recently re-elected as the leader of the Socialists and Democrats, the second biggest group in the EU's parliament. For anyone who isn't so aware of how the EU works, can you just explain what the Socialists and Democrats group is? What do you do?
0: Thank you, yes, I am very happy to, re- to be reelected by my colleagues. It is an honor to lead the group of the Socialists and Democrats in the European Parliament. The European Union does not work like a national government, where one party wins an election and the right to govern. Here the laws uh, have to be approved by both uh, the Member State and the Council and the European Parliament. So there has to be geographical and political balance, we always need to find consensus and built majorities across parties uh, both in the European Parliament and in the Council. We came second in the European elections in 2019 and we have uh, 145 seats in this House. Our backing is needed to build majorities. Therefore. We are fundamental to get legislation passed in the European Union and our paramount is to ensure that our values are respected. I say that we came second, but it's not like we were an opposition party just making speeches. Our influence is huge. Recently, Politico reported that the biggest group, the PP, are on the losing side of the votes more often than us. We are driving the agenda of the Union and ensuring that uh, our values are respected and prioritised.
1: So what are the S&D's values?
0: We want more fairness. We want a society where everyone's dignity is recognised and protected. We want a sustainable Europe. We want to preserve our planet for future generations. And we want to ensure that the transition to cleaner energy leaves no one behind. We are the political family that defended workers' rights in the past, and we continue to do so now in the digital economy. Technology cannot be used to undermine the rights we have already fought uh, so hard for.
1: So, looking back at the start of this Parliament's mandate, what have been our main achievements since
0: 2019? Of course, the last two years have been incredibly difficult, and the EU has to respond to an unprecedented shock. But the EU's response to the pandemic and the recovery package to help us emerge from the financial impact have a clear social democratic stamp of them. Only a few years ago, it seems utopian to think that the EU countries could jointly borrow, but the recovery package is financed by common debt. The European Green Deal is a left of center idea and it is driven by our movement's ideals working to deal with the climate crisis, but leaving no one behind. Without us, other political groups could be happy for the poorest in society to solder the finance cost of the transition to clean energy. The EU vaccination strategy was hugely important. We were clear that vaccine nationalism has to be avoided, although for a while it seems like some people wanted it uh, to go that way. I am also very proud of achievements in gender equality. For the first time, we have gender parity among commissioners, and that is because we, social democrats, said that this could be a red line for our vote on the new commission. No equality, no support. The EPP heard the message, and not only did they propose a woman to chair the commission, but also the parliament. This is good for all women, for all the union.
1: Amazing. So going forward, what are the priorities for the upcoming two and a half years?
0: Well, let me be clear. Our support for the European Commission and for the European Parliament president is not a blank check. We have to see our priorities respected. And one of the most important here is the rule of law. We have to be firm on countries that are backsliding on democracy and dragging their population backwards in time. We need to see a more social and green Europe and women's rights are absolute priority.
1: So, European Parliament President David Sassoli recently passed away and you spoke movingly at the Parliament's memorial service. You said that the best homage is to continue his legacy. What will be his legacy?
0: Well, firstly, when David died, we lost a friend as well as a close colleague to an important leader. He was a kind man and a warm person, always with a smile, and uh, he filled institutional procedure with uh, his profound warmth. He wanted to see immigration policy that is uh, humane and decent, with respect for the human beings involved at its core, something which uh, we have to fight to maintain. He kept open the European Parliament during this uh, difficult time in, in the pandemic, and David also personally worked to ensure that the European Parliament buildings, for example, could be used as a soup kitchen and a reception centre for women victims of gender violence yeah. during the first lockdown in Belgium.
1: Roberta Metzola from the Conservative Group was just voted President of the European Parliament. Do you support her presidency?
0: Well, continuing to think of David, one of his strengths was working with people who didn't agree with him and getting a good outcome. As I said, the European institution needs consensus and compromise to advance, and we need stability to face the challenges ahead. We have many issues in this agreement with President Metzola, but we will work together with her, and we expect her to respect, our priorities. This is what she committed to, including women's rights. Now uh, that uh, she is the president of the European Parliament, she must represent the views of the majority in this House, not her own ideas. It is a difficult time, and the stability of the Parliament, the ability of this institution to function is essential. We have a responsibility to ensure that. And that's why we agree with Renew and EPP a deal that we would fight for a green and social Europe, that we would work to get women on board and that a gender violence law would be introduced. As I said, our support is not a blank check, so we will be watching closely. I really wish Roberta the best.
1: Thank you so much for your time. on. After speaking with Arache about our work inside the EU, the question arises, what should the EU do in the world? Our lead on international affairs on foreign policy is Pedro Marquez from the Portuguese Socialist Party. My colleague Ewan McPhee spoke to Pedro in Strasbourg.
2: Thank you for joining and congratulations on your re-election as S&D Vice President for Foreign Affairs. Let's start with some broad
3: brushstrokes. What should the EU's role in the world be? We are for democracy, we are for human rights, we are for peace, we are for uh, development for all. So that's what we pledge to do inside the EU, but it's, those are certainly the values that we are trying to project to the rest of the world. So I think it makes full sense that this is what we are trying to do or should be trying to do internationally through cooperation, through multilateral institutions, trying to have a better balanced world with these kind of values that are at our heart. And what are the S&D's
2: priorities in foreign affairs? What would you say sets us apart from other pro-European political
3: forces? If we look at the, at the major groups here in the European Parliament or in the political families in Europe, certainly when you look more to the right, you see a more securitarian approach uh, towards the world development. You see a... a, a that European right is eager to in, 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 engage in this kind of new trends about regional confrontation in the world of, of regional powers, and that's certainly not our path. If you go to other groups, to other pro-European groups, then you see that yes, there is a lot of concerns with decarbonization, etc. But the citizens, the persons, are not at the center, at the core. Of these group's priorities. And I think we do the balance really well. The S&D group, the the Socialists and Democrats, the Progressive family, we strive for development, economic development, all over the world, but an economic development that does not endanger the planet, and at the same time, that leaves no one behind. Let's turn to current
2: affairs. As we're recording this, uh, media is reporting that Russia could invade Ukraine. What's the Progressive's position on this? really difficult issue
3: Yes, it's a very complex situation, certainly caused by Russia and by this uh, military uh, upheaval and, 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 and attitude by Putin and by people around him. We need to get back to diplomacy, to cooperation, to de-escalation of this crisis, at the same time remaining united from the side of Europe and saying clearly to Russia that there will be severe consequences economic and in terms of even international relations if Russia indeed insists in this kind of attitude. And in this invasion of Ukraine. Ukraine is a sovereign country. They have the right to decide their own future and their own path in the future. Um, But at this moment, uh, the priority priority must be the de- escalation, priority must be to find, go back to some sort of cooperation between the regional powers, as I said, and not this kind of confrontation. This will be disastrous, certainly for the Ukrainians, and those are obviously our first concern. This will be also very severe, it will have severe consequences on Mr. Putin and people around him, but unfortunately also towards the Russian citizens, and that's something obviously that also concerns us, and it will also have consequences for Europe, not just for our, security, because this is a possible war in our borders. But to, even to our economic situation, we have seen the, the, the prices of energy and other consequences also for the for the European continent. Tensions feel like they've been at a crisis point for
2: for a few weeks now. Are you hopeful for an outcome?
3: Yes, certainly. We, 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 we expect that something will come out from the efforts that Europe is conducting. Um, there was a moment in which the West had to unite against this attitude from the Russians, and I think we did, not just the US, but Europe in general. We said clearly to Mr. Putin that he must stop and go back and refrain himself from this uh, this, uh, advancement, from this attitude, from this possible escalation of a conflict. Um, We have shown uh, solidarity towards Ukrainians on this very difficult situation, and I think we were very coherent on that, and at the same time, Our European leaders started a number of of, um, initiatives towards um, uh, uh, discussing with the Ukrainians and the Russians the way to de-escalate this situation. More generally, what leverage does the EU have to see our values respected internationally? Well, first of all, acting by example, that's very important. uh, When you talk about basic human rights and basic values, you should act. By example, and I think Europe is in a sense a beacon of hope for many in the world, for many regions in the world, the way how we have managed to develop our continent with peace, stability and security for so many decades now of the European project. Um, That's certainly important, but at the same time, um, even if we are for uh, diplomacy, for cooperation and not for aggression, for confrontation... um, even in in international in multilateral uh, uh, institutions we can always resort to our powers in those in, the, in 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 those in that path of cooperation. And that power, from our side, is certainly a very important. One, which is economic power. Uh, Europe is one of the biggest trade partners. One, obviously, one of the big economies, economies globally, and certainly one of the biggest trade partners of the different regions in the world. And that means that through international trade agreements, through uh, international cooperation in general that we establish with the different regions of the world, we can uh, we can pledge and we can act towards our values and towards the respect of the basic human values in the different parts of the world. And that's certainly important leverage we have and that we have been using in the past and we should probably intensify in the future.
2: Turning to the US, has
3: President Biden lived up to our hopes and expectations? First, if you look more to the internal situation in the US, it's been so dramatically different from the previous administration. I mean, all that that narrative of fear of of Disinformation, continuous information, and, and to the citizens, and the way the mismanagement of the COVID crisis that was done by President Trump and his administration, uh, I think it was totally replaced, and also a much more progressive way of handling the administration, of handling the country, with with, with a, a huge boost to the economy, to the recovery. to, uh, I mean, to, to supporting the, the the families with most needs at the same time, so with a progressive approach to the to the to the recovery process and program. So, I think that in the internal front, I would say it's been dramatically different, the situation. On the international arena, at least the us. got back to the international arena. This idea of Mr. Trump of the America first has consequences, had consequences. We can see it in the debates in the in the in the Congress. Um, but still, President Biden and his administration got back to many international organizations from which Trump just withdrew. Uh, And so there is uh, again the possibility to discuss in this international forum a number of, of situations, a number of important developments with the US, Let me just recall, for instance, the fact that we finally got to a very important international agreement on on the taxation of the big companies, on the taxation of the digital as well. I mean, this was something that was completely impossible with 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 the previous administration. Now we have a so important agreement and it's a huge achievement for the international community. Uh, because we would never be able to do so uh, if we would only do as Europeans or no, it had it, to be something done at the global uh, arena and that was done certainly because of the, the, the willingness of the, of, the, of the Biden administration. Of course... Not everything is done, and some steps were not uh, the ones we would like. The, the withdrawal from Afghanistan, the AUKUS agreement, the agreement between the US and 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 and, and Australia, just to give you uh, the example, um, are not certainly this ki- the, the kind of steps we would like to take. We'd like we'd like to have seen more multilateral approach to this to this uh, to these situations. More, uh, uh, I would say, discussion between the, the Western partners on some of these of these dossiers. Uh, so I mean, there is a, uh, still a path to be to be to be taken, but uh, but uh, many changes for the better already occurred, and at least we have the capacity to go back and discuss the issues at international institutions, from which Mr. Trump was just absent, as you know.
2: It will be an interesting few years ahead, I'm
3: sure. But what do we want to achieve in the next few years as a political group ourselves? I would say that the world develops to be fairer. That we want uh, human rights. To be not challenged constantly, and democracy to be challenged constantly in so many parts of the world. So we need to use our influence, our our even our cooperation, our capacity to cooperate with the different regions of the world uh, towards this path. And at the same time, I think we need to strengthen Europe's own um, autonomy, on 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 strategic autonomy in a sense. And this is something that we will be discussing for a while. Europe. It's not just a matter of talking about uh, policy of defence. It's not about uh, talking about armies. I'm talking about European strategic autonomy towards crises like the one that we just faced, the COVID crisis. Our capacity to 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 make our decisions being uh, effective on the ground all over the world when we need diplomatic decisions, diplomatic uh, uh, corps. Uh, everything must be sustained by a European. Uh, a, approach and a European capacity, our own capacity to develop uh, these policies. And when it comes to crises and foreign affairs, is,
2: is Europe quick enough
3: to react? Well, I mean, the, the, the decisions and the, the arena of foreign affairs is not certainly an area in which you, you clap your fingers or something, uh, clap your fingers and, and, and take a decision immediately. As you know, we have the issue of unanimity, which is a critical issue for Europe in the decisions in foreign affairs issues. It's always an issue for us because... Many decisions have to be taken by uni- unanimity, almost all of them in this area. So that means that a lot of discussion has to go on in the council. The competences are mainly on the side of the council, as you know, on this on this on this area. So. Um, we might say that we still, due to the way how we are built as a community of of, of countries of nations, um, in these areas in which the powers have not been trans- transferred to the European level, obviously, we we need to to take in account the idiosyncrasies, the differences between the countries. So sometimes it's difficult, but it's part of the nature of our process uh, in Europe. Um, anyhow, as I said, diplomacy is is is, is probably not all the time. The path of, 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 of speedy decisions is probably the time in which you ponder your decisions, think about your decisions, take the right actions, so that you are not uh, going into dangerous action. Finally, turning to a country
2: you know very well in Portugal, the Socialist Party in Portugal won a third straight general election a few weeks ago um, with a growth in support for your party and with an increase in voter turnout. So, what's the secret?
3: Well, it was great, of course. We are so satisfied that we did. Um, I mean, uh, there was a sense in my country that um, this political crisis was undue. We, we shouldn't have gone through a political crisis in this moment in which our focus was on the recovery from the pandemic, on handling the pandemic and this, still this very complicated sanitary situation, but also the recovery. So I think the citizens did not want to go to the polls at this moment, but they turned out. They turned out probably because there was also a risk that uh, extreme right, uh, populists could uh, could have a, a role in the future government if the right wing would have won this election. So, certainly, we got a huge support because I think we handled right uh, correctly the, the 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 situation, the pandemic. I mean, unemployment unemployment is already lower than it was before this COVID crisis. Uh, vaccines, we were leading the world in terms of vaccination for 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 so many time, so so much time. And um, and I think that the, the citizens really did not want, at the same time that they think that we were ruling properly the country, they did not want to face the risk of a government supported by the extreme right in my country. So and then they turned out and they supported our party significantly. Obviously, we have a good, a very good leader, very good prime minister, Antonio Costa, and that also makes quite a difference in a time in which politics is also about trusting your leader, your leadership.
2: And was there a European angle to the? Election campaign.
3: A lot of the recovery of my country and many countries out of this pandemic will be about something that is totally new at European level, uh, which is Next Gen EU. I mean, this is completely out of uh, nothing we've seen in the past. We finally have a European budget for stability and recovery with a decent, with a decent amount of money and resources allocated. Citizens are trusting our way of. Uh, believing that public resources and public policies can make a difference and that, as I said at the beginning, leaving no one behind must be really at the core of our policies. And that, what we did in Portugal, as I said, out of the previous crisis and now handling the pandemic crisis, made a difference in Portugal, certainly made a difference in Germany, and it's making a difference in, in many countries. We have good prospects for many elections to come in different countries. And I think the social democratic, the progressive family, is in great conditions to challenge, to really dispute to win the next European elections because the citizens trust the progressive way of handling this crisis and policies in general out of this crisis. So you're saying this is a comeback for the center left? It's a huge uh, news for our political family because the citizens are really seeing that we can make a difference and we do make a difference if we don't act in government as the right wing. Since we are doing differently, people's lives are improving for the better and they are trusting us more and more. Pedro Marquez, thank you very much. Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening to Take a Left, the podcast from the Socialists and Democrats in the European Parliament. Do subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. Stay safe and take care.